Welcome to the podcast of Grace Community Bible Church. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged, and inspired by this message. For other sermons or more information, visit us at gracebiblechurch.org.au. This morning we're going to be looking at 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4. So I exhort the elders among you as fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Let's pray together one more time. Father God, we, we thank you for the privilege that we have to know you and to give you glory. For there is nothing else in this world, no other being in this world that is as glorious as you, and we want to give you the glory that is due your name. Father, we recognize this uh, each day of our lives, and even as we look at different things that happen in this world as well. We know that there is nothing that happens in this world uh, without your knowing, that you're still sovereignly in control of all things. And remembering that, we also remember particularly the, the anti-conversion law that's uh, about to be passed uh, in the state of Victoria, in this state, um, which restricts in a, in a significant way our religious liberty, which restricts uh, our ability to preach God's word in the way that... Uh, in a free way, in, in all of what you say. It puts uh, restriction on how we may parent our children. Uh, uh, it puts restriction in schools, and particularly schools that hold to your word. Father, we recognize that ultimately this is the works of the evil one. So we pray, Father, that, that you would do a work uh, and that somehow this bill would not be passed so that we would be uh, free to continue to preach your word and to, uh, and to live as Christians and to shepherd our children. And yet, Father, if that not be your will, we humbly accept that because you are wise beyond our imagination, that we don't have the full perspective of why you allow certain things to happen, and we will submit to that. And we pray that even through that, you would help us to be faithful to you, not shying away of being your representatives in this world. Father, we want to pray for the, the children that are going to go back to school this coming week, and, and perhaps even some of them who have already started this, this past week. We pray that you would be with them, that you would guard them from the things of this world and the from the vials of this world and, and from the enticements of the evil one, that you would protect them, that you would go before them, and that you would 
uh, that, uh, that only good influences and godly influences would come into their lives. And Father, we pray that, that even as parents, as we are faithful, and as a church, as we are faithful, you would use all these influences in the lives of our children to draw them to yourself. Father, we pray too for teachers or perhaps those who are working in school settings who are back uh, this coming week or maybe this past week. We pray that you would be with them, bless them in their work, help them to represent you well. And, and even for all those workers who have just gone back in the last few weeks from holidays, we pray that you would help them to serve well in their workplaces uh, and they would be such good examples of good workers and they would represent you in their workplaces. We pray for those who, for whatever reason, uh, are not working, whether they're retired or just stay-at-home moms or other reasons are at home. We pray that even while they're at home, that you would allow them to make good use of their time and to uh, use it for your glory. Father, now we come before your word Oh, how we need your word. Father, we know week in and week out as we see things in this world that we, we cannot cling on to anything else but the truth of your word. So now we come with eager hearts. We pray that you would help us to concentrate, to listen, and to uh, take to heart what you have to say to us this morning. And we pray that as a result, we would strive to live for you all the days of our life. We pray all these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen. This morning I want to talk to you about, about leadership. You know, what comes to mind when you think of leaders? You know, perhaps you think of someone who's got a very gregarious personality. Oh, that, that's a fine leader there. Uh, or perhaps you think of someone who just inspires you all the time. And you say, oh, that's a fine leader there. Or perhaps you think of someone who always comforts you and just helps you and just says all the right things that you want to hear. And you say, oh, that's a fine leader. Or perhaps you, you think of a leader as someone who's just easygoing and just doesn't take life seriously, but, you know, just gets things done and just is just a jovial person. Now, some of those things are certainly good things, and there's nothing wrong with a leader having that. But I think it's important for us to think through what does God have to say specifically? What, what are the specific things that God looks at when he thinks about leadership, particularly in the church? You see, Peter is now, in these four verses, he suddenly moves and you know, focuses on the leadership of the church. And, and, and if you think of the context, you sort of have an idea why. See, because he's writing to churches that are suffering. He's writing to churches that are facing persecution of different sorts. And so when there's all this pressure coming, it is imperative that the leaders of the church actually lead the church during that time. Because God has appointed leaders specifically in the churches to, for that task. 
we, we, we read in, in Titus chapter 1 where uh, Paul t- tells Titus, you know, go and appoint elders in each of the churches. So uh, it meant that there were already churches, but they weren't elders established. And why is he telling them to appoint elders in those churches? So that the, uh, so that the churches would be in order. You see, when churches don't have, uh, have elders, the church goes in disarray. In Ephesians 4, we read that the elders have been given to equip the saints for the work of the ministry to to build up the church, to mature the church, to to lead the church. So if if during normal times, uh, God has set up a leadership structure within the church, how much more when there's distress and persecution and difficulties? It is imperative that these kind of spiritual leaders then lead the church even during those difficult times because that's how, that's one of the big means by which the churches are going to thrive. Now, some of you sitting here are thinking, oh, so you're going to talk about leadership in the church, but I'm not a leader in this church, so, you know, why should I listen to this sermon. I guess it's only for the leadership of the church or those who aspire to leadership. Well, let me just say this. Whether you stay here for the rest of your life or at some point in God's providence you, you move to another place, it does matter the kind of church that you will be part of and largely you can assess the kind of church it is by the kind of leaders that are present in that church, the kind of spiritual leaders that are present in that church. And then most immediately, you know, there is certainly a need for more leaders in this church. And we have been praying that God would raise up men to, more men to lead this church. And so this will give you uh, an idea of the kind of men that we should be looking for, that God would raise and say, oh, that one's, in, that one's a, meant to be a spiritual leader in the church. And then another reason could be this, for, for uh, those of us who are leaders in the church, that as a church, that you would keep us accountable. That this is how the leaders of the church should function. There's a certain design, there's a certain order in which the the church is to function and the leaders in the church are to function. And when things go according to God's design and plan, uh, even within the church, the church thrives. And even when there's difficulty, the church keeps moving on to maturity. So this morning... By way of outline, I, uh, I, I have two points. Firstly, I want to talk about the role of elders, and that's in verse 1 and the first part of verse 2. And then I want to talk to you about the, the manner of the elders. That's in the second part of verse 2 up to verse 4. So let's look at the, the first point as we think through spiritual leadership in the church, the, the role of elders. Peter starts this section by saying, 
So I exalt, exhort the elders among you. Saying, uh, I, I want to encourage, I, 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 I want to urge the elders. I want to appeal to the, the elders of the church to continue to be faithful. And this term, elder, this was a term that was common among the Jews. And it was a term that was also common in the secular world of Peter's day. See, for the Jews in the, in the synagogues, they would have elders who were men who were responsible for teaching and for leading the people. In the secular society of the day, you had elders, and that referred to older men in the society. Older men who were appointed to serve in religious capacities, as well as in the, the, the civic spheres as well, to, to manage the religious affairs as well as the public affairs of the society. But when it comes to the church, the term elders, it refers to the particular office of an elder. It has nothing to do with someone's age. A person could be young or a person could be old. Age per se was not a criteria for someone to be affirmed as an elder. But I guess the, the one caveat would be that elders should not be young men in the faith. Or in other words, uh, elders were not to be new converts. See, elders are men that are raised up by God in the church, and, and broadly there are two requirements to affirm someone as an elder. First, they had to be men of godly character. And secondly, they had to be men who knew the word and were gifted to teach the word of God and, and refute those who would contradict the word of God. And so God gave elders to, for this charge to lead the church and to, and to take care of the church on behalf of Jesus. See, once Jesus returns, Jesus the chief shepherd, he rose from the dead, he's gone to heaven. But once Jesus returns, there would be no need for other little shepherds. There would be no need for elders. Because at that point, the church would have matured and purified. And Jesus, the chief shepherd, would be present with the church. And that we know will happen in the end. But in the interim, until Jesus returns during these last days, while, as we saw before, while the church is still being purified as opposition comes its way, God has given elders to the church to spiritually equip the church and care for the church and protect the church and, and lead the churches that they are part of. In fact, if you look closely, you know, Peter emphasizes a point. He says, I exhort the elders among you. See, there's a particularity there. He's saying that the elders' role is confined to only those 
uh, among you, only the elders that are part of this particular congregation and this particular congregation and this particular congregation. So the elders of this church have no role to play in the congregation that is down the road. It's very limited to the people that they're among. So he's, he's saying, so, so these elders, these elders that are among you, so for example, at GCBC, Donnie and I are elders of this particular church. But once we walk out of this church and say we go to that church just down the road or to some other churches of our friends that we know, we don't play the role of an elder anymore. We just come as a Christian. That role of eldership is very specific to that very congregation. The eldership role is tied to a particular church, the church that they are part of. And so, so Peter is pointing to this, and he's saying, so to the elders that are among you, Each group, among you there are elders, among you there are elders, among you there are elders. To these elders I'm exhorting you. And then he sort of wants to encourage them by identifying with them. So first he says, I exhort you as a fellow elder. Now think about Peter. He's an apostle. And, And when you read about Peter as an apostle, you know, most times when there's a group, Peter is the first one to speak. You know, usually if there's a group and Peter's name in there, most times he's the first one in the list. So you could almost say he was sort of even like the first one among the apostles, a very prominent apostle. And so he could have, you know, pulled rank and said, listen, I'm an apostle and I'm commanding you to do this and you better listen to me. No, he, no he, there's no top-down approach. Uh, that's not what Peter does here. No, he says, I'm exhorting you. I'm, I'm appealing to you. I'm urging you. Listen, I'm someone just like you, elders, a spiritual leader in the trenches along with you. It's not a top-down approach that he's taking. He's saying, I'm coming alongside you and saying, hey, I understand you elders. I understand the difficulties of being an elder. I understand the task that you are to carry out. You know, I have the same task to fulfill, and I'm with you in the trenches, spiritually speaking, while I'm leading other people as a fellow elder. And then he adds and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, what is this talking about? Now, some commentators think, oh, that's just saying that Peter was an eyewitness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, that's certainly true. Peter was an eyewitness of the sufferings of Christ. He was there. But if you think of the context in which he's saying this, he's trying to identify with the elders. He's trying to come alongside with them and saying, hey, listen, I'm just like you. I understand what you're going through. When we think of that, and we think of you know, that broader picture that we looked at even last week of you know, sharing in Christ's suffering, 
that when opposition comes, when we live for Jesus, we are sharing in that same kind of suffering. So when we put all that together, this is what he's saying. Listen, I testify, I'm, I'm witnessing to the sufferings, that same kind of sufferings of Christ, just like you are. See, because the, the word witness in itself, it can certainly mean to witness something or to see something, but it can also mean to testify something, like in the court of law, right? Somebody would come and stand and say, okay, I have something to say, I have something to testify. It doesn't necessarily mean that that person has been an eyewitness, but simply somebody who gives a testimony about something. And so Peter is saying, I'm a fellow elder. I recognize your responsibility and difficulty. I understand that particularly as elders, you will suffer for Christ's sake. People will oppose you and come against you when you follow Jesus and lead his people. That's part of what it means to be an elder. But know this, when you suffer like that, when people oppose you for following Jesus and leading others, know this, you are testifying to the sufferings of Christ. You are pointing to Jesus because it's the same kind of suffering. And so he says, I'm a fellow elder, witness of the sufferings of Christ, just like you, But see, it doesn't stop there. He says, also, look at what he says, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. He's saying, I understand your role. I understand it's difficult. I understand there's sufferings and persecution and opposition. But also understand that just like you, I will also partake in that glory that is coming when Jesus returns. So there's hope. It's not just suffering and difficulty as an elder. You will partake in the glory of Christ when he comes. See, this is what's carrying me through my service. Despite all the difficulties. So I want you to do this. I I want to tell you this and I'm telling you nothing that I'm already experiencing. What I'm going to tell you is not what I'm also called to do myself, Peter is saying. And so he says, as a fellow elder, as someone who suffers for Christ, as someone who is also a partaker of the glory to come, in light of this coming opposition and increasing opposition that's coming, Peter says, elders, stay true to your call. Stay faithful to the task that God has given to you. See, if I were to elaborate this in a, in a modern day sense, what he's saying is, see, biblical eldership, it's not a passive role. An elder is not someone who simply has a title in the church and attends Sunday morning service and is, is involved in some of the decision-making process. No, it's so much more than that. See, eldership, it's a very active role. And yes, there will be difficulties that come your way as a result of being an elder. 
But at the same time, an elder cannot be passive in its role when difficulties come. He cannot hide away from his responsibilities when those difficulties and oppositions come. An elder is called to fulfill the task that God has entrusted to him, knowing especially that we are living in the last days and the end of all things is near. So he needs to be especially faithful. But now, okay, so the elders task is difficult, but Peter is encouraging them, but it's not just difficulty, there's glory coming, so continue to be faithful. But what is an elder to do? You know, what's his role like? Look at the first part of verse 2. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Yes, in the midst of this opposition, in the midst of this persecution, he says, elders be faithful and shepherd the flock of God that is among you. See, Peter is very careful to remind these elders. Listen, that that flock that is there among you, that's not your flock. That's the flock of God. That flock belongs to God. And so it matters what you do with this flock. Because you have to give an account to God. See, Jesus, the chief shepherd, he laid down his life for the church. And now that he's gone to heaven for a little while, He has entrusted the care of his flock to these under-shepherds. And so when the elders view the the church and the people of God this way, as, as precious to God, that God loved these people so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for them, It affects the way the elders treat the people in the church. They will no longer treat the people carelessly, but they will treat the people with great care. And so Peter says, shepherd the flock of God among you. See, the picture is of a shepherd that takes care of the flock. He leads them. He, he protects them. He, he feeds them and, and, and cares for them. As under-shepherds of the chief shepherd Jesus, this is the calling of an elder, to shepherd the flock of God. Now this word shepherd, it's the same word from which we get the word pastor. So you could even translate it as elders pastor the flock of God. And essentially, this is even alluding to the fact that the the term elder and pastor essentially refer to the same office. 
And it's used interchangeably in the New Testament, particularly in the book of Acts, if you look at it, you'll see it used interchangeably. There's no pastor who is not an elder, and there's no elder who is not a pastor. They're essentially exactly the same thing. Now, I don't want to get into more details about that, but if you want to understand more about this, we did a series on the church about one or two years ago, and there's one particularly on understanding um, church eldership. Have a listen to that, and it'll hopefully clarify some more of uh, these terms. So Peter says, elders pastor the flock of God or, or shepherd the flock of God. And so the picture is of a shepherd who's feeding and protecting and caring and leading the flock. See, when you think of the shepherd, the shepherd, as he has his flock, see, one of the first things he'll do is what? to make sure that the flock goes to green pastures. He's just not going to let them, oh, this is dry land here. So, uh, you know, the shepherd's not going to stand there thinking, oh, you know, too bad. I guess the sheep will all have to die now. No, the, no, the shepherd then eagerly and tenderly carries the sheep across fi- trying to find good pasture. The shepherd, again, he's somebody who will protect the flock from, from thieves and from animals. You know, Jesus himself talks about the difference between a hireling and a true shepherd is that when wolves come to attack the sheep, the hireling simply runs off versus the true shepherd will protect the sheep from all the wolves and all the dangers. The, the shepherd is sometimes called to, you know, give individual attention to the sheep. To, to care for them perhaps when an individual sheep is in trouble. And so similarly, so he's using that kind of Im- imagery. So similarly, the, the spiritual leaders, the elders are called to feed the flock of God by feeding them with the word of God. That's a faithful shepherd there. You don't give them some you know, funny stories and uh, inspirational talks, but you give them the word of God. The, the elders are called to protect the church from wolves, from, from false teachers that might rise up either within or outside the congregation that might come to attack the church. And the elders are to just make sure that the sheep are taken care of. And then Peter even adds, shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight. Now, oversight, you know, just like in the English, two words, oversight. So it has the idea of looking over. To, to look over the, the flock and, and see the, the bigger picture. You know, is the flock doing Okay. You know, are there any dangers anywhere? Are there any pressing needs within the flock? Are they being fed right? Is there somebody who, uh, is there some sheep that is in trouble? And so, as the shepherd exercises 
oversight this way, and, and shepherds a flock, you can say that's, that's faithful elders who are doing their job. Where they're shepherding and exercising good oversight for the good of the people in the church. Now, speaking of oversight, you know, practically speaking, what that means is the elders may not individually be involved with every single member of the church, you know, trying to sort out their every little problem. See, because first of all, it's, it's impossible for the elders of the church to be intimately involved with each and every person in the congregation. It's almost impossible. And as the church gets bigger and bigger, it becomes just, it's just not possible. And so, it wouldn't be right then Think, think of it again as shepherding and flock language. Imagine rather than guiding the whole flock and every now and then paying attention to certain individual sheep, if the whole time the only thing that the shepherd did was go to one individual sheep and then the next individual sheep and then the next individual sheep and then the next individual sheep, the individual sheep it wouldn't be good for the whole flock. In fact, it wouldn't even be good for the individual sheep. And so, in that sense, so similarly, if the, if the members are being taken care of by even fellow members, then the elders themselves, they don't have to be individually involved in that person, even if that person is going through a difficult time. Because as far as the elders are exercising oversight, they're looking at the bigger picture. Okay, this person has some trouble here, but that person is being taken care of by other members in the congregation. Then that's good. I don't have to get involved there. But at the end of the day, what Peter is trying to get at is this. The role of an elder, it is not a passive thing. And it's certainly not about having a title or an office. The role of an elder is to be fiercely devoted to the task of shepherding God's people and exercising oversight, even when there are difficulties and oppositions that come their way. Shepherds need to actively shepherd God's people for the good of the flock. And if they don't do that, they're not functioning as good elders. That's not a faithful elder. If an elder simply runs off when things get difficult, that's not a faithful elder. And so Peter says, so elders, elders that are among you, shepherd the flock of God. That is your calling, that is what you are called to do. But you know, in God's eyes, it's not just important that the elders shepherd. It also matters how they shepherd. That's also incredibly important in God's eyes. And so here we see our second point, the manner in which the elders are to shepherd. That's in 
the second part of verse two all the way down to verse four. Let's just look at the, the, the first bit, the second part of verse two. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Elders, shepherd your flock. Elders, pastor your flock, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Now you say, why would someone shepherd God's people under compulsion? Remember in the context, Peter is writing to churches that are being persecuted. So you can imagine, you know, Christians are facing slander and, and insults and other kind of persecution in their individual lives for following Jesus. So as elders, it's not just their problems that they have to carry. Now they have to carry the problems of the whole entire church. And on top of that, if there is struggles that is coming, opposition that is coming against the church as a whole, who do you think will be the first target? The leaders of the church. The elders of the church. Right? I mean, there's even the biblical principle of you strike the shepherd, you scatter the flock. And intuitively, the world gets that. You know, when they're trying to attack any organization or any, uh, or any kind of group, they go after the leaders first. Because you get the leaders, it's easy to disband then the rest of the group. So you can understand why some of the elders that Peter is writing to may be tempted because of all the pressures, pressures in their own life. You know, they're carrying the burdens of others and even opposition coming against the church as a whole where, where they're sort of tempted to think, I'm not sure if I really want a shepherd anymore because I have this big target on my back. But Peter is reminding them If you're going to shepherd faithfully, you need to be willing, no matter what difficulties come your way. Now, this doesn't mean that, you know, elders will never have times where, you know, things are difficult and and they're just feeling a little bit low, and they might not feel like wanting to serve at that point. Uh, no, that's impossible. But overall, you know, when you look at the life of that elder, that elder still wants to shepherd God's people. He's not forcing himself, or he's not in an unwilling way, okay, I have to do this because, you know, I bear this title now and I have to do that. No, that will not be a faithful elder. An elder is not someone who needs constant probing to remind him to shepherd others. An elder is someone who wants to shepherd others. He wants to build others up in Christ so that they can stand firm in the world. He wholeheartedly and and joyfully wants to shepherd others and and there's no one sort of pushing him constantly, come on, go and shepherd, go and shepherd. There's no one doing that. He's doing of his own volition. He wants to do this.
But if an elder is unwilling to shepherd others, either because of the pressures of his own life or the pressures of others or the pressures of the church as a whole, and he's sort of forcing himself to serve others, and he's saying, oh, because I have to do this, it won't be beneficial for the church. It will not bless the people that he's meant to be serving. Why? Because he won't be like the shepherd that God wants him to be. And that'll be damaging to the church in the long term. If you have a person who just constantly thinks, oh, the job of an elder, here we go again, I have to do this, that kind of person will do more damage to the church than good. See, that's why here in GCBC, we, you know, we don't simply just go up to a person and say, oh, you know, we, we've decided to appoint you as an elder and you're going to serve as an elder from this day on. I think one commentator captures the sense of why we don't just appoint elders. He says, quote, It is dangerous for the church when unwilling men are asked to serve as elders. We would affirm men as elders who are willing shepherds, men who are already shepherding without the need for a title. These are men who, are, who willingly care and love God's sheep. No one asked them to do it. They just do what all church members should be doing, encouraging one another in loving, caring, discipling relationship. And I would add, but faithfully doing so. It's really what every Christian is called to do, to disciple one another and care for one another. But this person is doing it even more faithfully. No one's prompting them. No one's pushing them. No one's forcing that person to do it. The man is already serving and discipling others. He wants to do it and is already doing it. And if he has the character and the ability to teach God's word, and this is evident to uh, people around him, then you'd say, that's an elder there. That's an elder there. That's how you identify elders. So Peter says, an elder must pastor not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Secondly, an elder must pastor, look at the last part of verse 2, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Don't pastor for shameful gain. Now that doesn't mean that, you know, some elders can, um, that doesn't mean that elders in, who serve in full-time ministry uh, cannot get re- remunerated somehow. You know, sometimes certain churches think that, you know, yes, I understand that person's in full-time ministry, but you know what we're going to do? We're going to pay that person the minimum of minimum of minimum because we want to keep them poor and we want to keep them humble and we want to keep them dependent on the Lord. Why? Because the elders shouldn't 
should not pastor for shameful gain, because it's a shameful thing, right, for them to have money. No, that's not what this verse is talking about at all. In fact, the Bible does support the idea that if a church has the resources to do it, to remunerate those elders or pastors that have given up everything to study and preach and teach the Word of God. Just turn with me to 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18. It reads, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. See, the picture here is of an ox. The ox is treading the grain to, to separate the, the chaff from the grain. And it's, it's treading the floor and treading the grain. And the idea here is, what, you know, what uh, Paul is saying here, as he's quoting from the Old Testament. It's saying, let the ox tread the grain, let it do its work, but let it also have a bite of the grain. Let it also eat some of the grain. Don't put a muzzle on it while it's working like this. It's doing hard work. Let it eat some as well. And so then the same principle is then applied. Paul applies that same principle to at least some of the elders, where he says, elders, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching the word of God, you know, remunerate them for their work in full-time ministry. And, you know, GCBC follows this practice. And I'm, I'm thankful for the support from this church, you know, where this church supports me financially. So I'm freed up to devote all my time to, to study and preach the Word of God and teach the Word of God and shepherd uh, the flock of God. And so and I don't have to constantly think of, okay, how do I provide for my family? I'm, I'm so thankful for the way this church continues to serve me this way and support me this way. So it's not wrong for elders to be paid, especially those in full-time ministry. But what Peter is talking about here is not just simply getting paid. But what he's saying is pastoring for shameful gain. That is to acquire money shamefully, whether it's out of greed or through uh, some dishonest means. See, using ministry as a way to loot people of their money. Or some kind of money laundering and acquiring money from the church through some kind of dishonest, uh, you know, behind the curtains kind of thing. And you see that very commonly with the false teachers, yeah? The health, wealth, prosperity teachers. Where they say, give, give, give to me, give more to me. And they manipulate others to acquire money for selfish gain. Why? To, to buy their own mansions and to, to buy jets and, uh, and, and what not. And what Peter is trying to get at is, for this kind of person, money is the motivation behind what they do in ministry. So for this type of person... It's, it's like a job. Oh, nine to five job, and I'm out. I don't shepherd anymore. 
I don't teach anymore. I don't do anything else. Time out. Five o'clock, done. This person has no real interest in serving the church and others. One commentator put it this way. This is the difference between a true shepherd and a hireling. A hireling works because he's paid for it, but a shepherd works because he loves the sheep and has a heart devoted to them. So Peter says, no, you you need to shepherd or you need to uh, pastor, not for shameful gain, but you need to shepherd eagerly. It's again another word for, for willingly. That you really want to shepherd God's people whether or not you get paid. That's the idea here. That's what a faithful shepherd is. Now the third contrast about how the elder should pastor. Look at verse 3. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples of the flock. Domineering, it's the idea of subduing others or forcefully ruling over others. It's, it even has the idea of ruling others for personal advantage. See, when the disciples were trying to figure out oh, you know, who's the greatest in the kingdom and who's going to have that position of prominence, uh, Jesus, who's going to be at your right hand and who's going to be at your left side? This is what uh, Peter says in Mark, uh, sorry, this is what Jesus says in Mark 10, 42 to 45. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who, considered, those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it should not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you, you must be, among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, this kind of domineering, forceful leadership, we see it in politics. Oh, we, we know that quite well, especially now we see it even more so in politics. We see it in our workplaces. But we should never see it in our churches, this kind of leadership. The elders should never pastor because they have a, a thirst for power. The elders should never be men who are so full of themselves and, and to want to show others of their dominance and how great they are. Because if, if that's the driving motivation, what's going to happen? That person's going to start controlling others or manipulating others to make sure that this, pers- this person is always seen as prominent. Peter says, no, faithful shepherds should never do that. Instead, they should lead by being examples of the flock. You know, I remember in seminary when I took a class in church leadership, they talked about the difference between pushing and pulling in leadership. 
See, the, the person who is just interested in himself, just self-focused and hungry for power and whatever else, this is the person who stands behind others and, and sort of pushes others around and pushes people to do things they're not supposed to do. So they might use strong language and, and threatens them and does all kinds of things and pushes people to do something that they want to be done. But that's not a biblical leader. That's not a biblical elder. Biblical eldership is more often than not, it's the idea of a man standing in front saying, follow me as I follow Christ. And they're not pushing people, they're pulling people. I'm following Christ. Come on, follow me. You know, this can be a scary thing even for an elder. Because an elder is not a perfect person. And to stand in the limelight and say, oh, come on, follow me as I follow Christ, it can be an intimidating thing. But I guess the, the difference is the elder continues to hang on to the grace of God, and as he strives to follow Christ, all those who are following, you know, God will bring that about. And it's, it's, and it's not following the elder just, just like that. It's in as much as he follows Christ, the rest of the people are to follow. Imitate that Christ-likeness. Imitate that godliness. So here, here's, here's the thing, beloved, that I want to ask. When you think of leadership, spiritual leadership in the church, that's the kind of people you should be thinking of, whether you're part of this church or at some point you go to another church. Not, not, not men who do it begrudgingly and complainingly. Not men who are lovers of money or lovers of power. But men who willingly and eagerly do it because they're devoted to God and devoted to his people. Men who live out that godliness. That these are men who you say, yeah, that's a, you know there, there are lots of things I want to follow that man for because of the way he follows Christ. That's the kind of leadership you should be looking for in a church. That's a faithful leader. That's a faithful elder. But now you say, okay, so eldering is hard. It's hard work. And then on top of that, you, you know, there's all this opposition and carrying burdens of others and staying in the limelight. Oof. You know, what's going to sustain them? What is it that sustains the elders to keep pushing on, to keep moving on forward? And verse 4 gives us the answer. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. See, what keeps the elders going is not not money, not power, not anything else, but that I'm accountable to my chief shepherd. Did I pastor the people well? Did I feed my sheep? Did I search out those who were being troubled? 
did I go after lost sheep? And if, even though imperfectly an elder can answer that, then there's no greater joy as he faces the chief shepherd. As the chief shepherd will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And it says there that the elder will be given a crown of glory, the unfading crown of glory. Now it's difficult to determine what Peter means by this, whether it's just the concept of that eternal life and the glory and everything that else that is associated with it, or if it's specifically talking about some special reward given to faithful elders for their faithful service. Either way, I think the, the motivation is clear. As you, are, as you are faithful, Jesus, the chief shepherd, when he comes, he will reward you accordingly. You know, as I was studying through this passage, I was trying to examine my own life, and uh, even us as an eldership, as against what this was, uh, what Peter is exhorting. You know, many times uh, I fall short of what this scripture is saying. And yet I'm thankful that God is growing me in this, and God is growing our eldership in this, and that's why we would ask as an eldership to continue to pray for us so that we would absolutely be these men, men who shepherd the flock, who exercise oversight, who don't do it in a compulsive way because we have this title or I guess I have to do it, but because we want to do it. That we would be men who uh, are not doing this for some kind of gain, whether it's power or money, but because we love the Lord and we love his people. And so I want to ask that you, you pray for us as an eldership because we will have to give an account to the chief shepherd. But beyond that, as I said at the start, we, we still need more elders in the church and that you would pray to that end. And now you know what to pray for. Lord, we need elders in this church. We need more elders in this church. What should they look like? Exactly what Peter says in 1 Peter 5. One to four. Let's all pray together. Father, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful that there are structures that you set up even within the church so that the church can thrive and grow so that it blesses the people of God so that the church would represent Jesus in this lost world. Father, we, we remember the, the calling of an elder. And while it is a lofty calling, it is also such a privilege to serve under the chief shepherd, to represent him, to be a blessing to the church. And Father, we pray that those of us who are elders, that you would keep us faithful that you would continue to grow us as elders and make us more and more into the faithful elders that you call us to be. And then beyond that, that you would raise up more men in this church to faithfully shepherd your flock, not for the glory of men, but for your glory. 
until that time, Father, when the chief shepherd appears. We thank you for the way that you continue to guide us, the way you continue to lead us, and the way you continue to protect us, whether it's through the elders, through your word, through, through all the many different things. We thank you for this, and we pray that now you dismiss us with your blessing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.